You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 140. That's a really high number. <laughs> it is a high number. You know, we kind of didn't do what we wanted to do with our um, 100th episode, but we're definitely going to do something for our 200th episode, which will happen, the I guess, what, the beginning of next year? Yeah, sounds about right. And we have a live event actually coming up. We'll talk about the end of the show. So if you want to learn about, finally, <laughs> the live event that you can go to that's very exclusive, you got to listen to the show all the way to the end. Um, or you can cheat and just read the show notes on the website either way. So we're episode 140. And we, if you want to support the show, do me a favor, leave a review. It's the best, easiest way to support the show. Just go do it. And we got a good review. It says awesome content. And interesting, Jake, this is actually left in Stitcher. We usually get our reviews in iTunes. So we're yep. okay with Stitcher reviews by Trevor Warren. Actually, I talked to Trevor not that long ago. Awesome content. I've been listening to your podcast for about a year now. I was working in the Middle East as an operations manager for the past four years with Trinidad Drilling. I've recently been transferred to Texas as a general manager of ops in our recently acquired technology division, which is called Rig Miner. Give them a shout out. Uh, there in Woodlands, Texas. I'm excited to be in the area and hope to get to meet you guys at one of the upcoming events. Well, we're doing it, Trevor. We'll actually get you in. Looking forward to being part of the community. And all honestly, one of the main reasons I got this opportunity with RigMinder is because I've been listening to your guys preach about big data analytics and upcoming technology. So big thanks for that. You're welcome. And Jake, isn't that cool that because we're that talking awesome. about stuff? Yeah. So congratulations. Thanks for leaving us a review. If you want to be like Trevor, just go leave us a review real quick anywhere. Get your iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Let's get the news story because we've got this is a big one. We have a lot of articles to go over. Okay. So if you've been watching the news today, or I guess by the time this goes out, it'll be a few days. President Donald Trump has fired Secretary of State Rex Tillerson via Twitter yesterday, replacing him with the current CIA director, Mike Pompeo. So I think the, what they're saying is the reason that the main reason that he's being fired is that there's this huge disagreement over the Iran deal. And so now it's kind of a lot of people are kind of curious as to, you know, what are the implications for us as it pertains to the Iran deal? So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, and if you're listening to the show, you know, I was super pumped up that the former CEO of ExxonMobil was our secretary of state. Because if you think of any person on this planet that has negotiated more high stakes, more big dollar deals with more foreign governments, it's ExxonMobil. And, and while Rex was uh, steering that big old ship of ExxonMobil, he did a really, really, really good job. And so I'm really disappointed in this, quite frankly. I, I think, I still think Rex is the perfect person for that job. I think the fact that him and the president didn't get along is a credit to what he brought to the table. It's like, I'm not going to just bow down to anybody. I'm going to do what I think is right. If I disagree, I'm going to say I disagree. Now, unfortunately, because of the way our current political administration is, some of that disagreement happened in public, which it shouldn't have, right? That should have been private deal. Like Jake, you and I, sometimes we have to shut the door and talk about stuff. But I'm, I'm really disappointed in this. And then the replacement, and, and nothing against uh, the replacement, nothing against Mike, but this is like taking the head of a, a police organization and having them put in charge of accounting. It's just not a good fit. So, you know, I, I have all the best hopes for uh, for Mike to, to actually do this and do a good job. You know, Rex doesn't didn't need the job or the money. I mean, he'll be fine. I, but I, I'm very disappointed that we've lost him as, as Secretary of State. Do you think there's any implications uh, with the Iran deal? I think Korea is probably a bigger deal. Um, if, you, if you understood the differences in opinion between Iran how Donald Trump's looking at Iran and how uh, Tillerson looked at it in the same way between the two of them at Korea. I think that Korea is the kind of the more 
important thing that hasn't made front page news. The thing with Iran is that if we reimpose sanctions, which if you listen to the show, you know I was wrong about that because years ago I thought, said it was, I thought it was a good idea to lift the sanctions and I was proven wrong. I think if we throw those sanctions back in there, it's going to clamp down their ability. I know it will clamp down their ability to get investment, to rebuild their infrastructure so they can get their, their crude to market, which their people's going to suffer. Their people are already suffering, and if they suffer more, that is the right political environment to have something bad happen. Other conflicts break out, conflicts move outside of their geographic boundaries to other parts of the Middle East. And, and I don't want any of that to happen, but that's that's what I'm worried about with Iran. Now, now Korea, I'm actually even more worried because that guy's just nuts. And, and Tillerson, I thought, had a great approach to minimize what he could do and what he can't do. And, you know, you're seeing stuff in the news where Trump is meeting with uh, the Kim Jong-un for North Korea. But, you know, I just those two hotheads, I, I liked when Tillerson was in the middle of those two. So we'll keep an eye on this. All valid points. Up next, Shell Pioneer issues warning to U.S. drillers. As you know, U.S. Shell's effectively upended uh, the oil industry with predictions that the total U.S. oil production will surpass Saudi Arabia's output this year, in turn rivaling Russia's to become the preeminent global producer. So the IEA, so International Energy Agency, forecasts that the U.S. will become the net energy exporter by the late 2020s. But Mark Papa, the former head of EOG Resources, raised the question of flatlining output in the face of doubling the oil rig count, stating, how can a rig count be double yet the production be stagnant? Would you like me to say something about that? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, Mark Papa is a legend. I mean, literally a legend. And so this quote, I, I think is a little suspect. So either it's been misquoted or there's something else going on that we don't know about yet. And that's the reason he made this quote. But basically the, the way you can double rig count and, and not have production go up is that you're not producing when you drill a well. Quite yeah. simple, right? While you're drilling, you're not producing. But the beginning of this article, when they're talking about we're going to pass up the OPEC and we're going to actually catch up with Russia. I mean, if you listen to the show, you know, I've been saying that for years, that we're going to be that swing producer. And we can. We could do it right now. It doesn't make financial sense to do it right now, but we could do it. We have the hydrocarbons in the ground. And more importantly, we have the infrastructure already built in place and we have the technology. So we were going to bring, be that swing producer. Now, there's, there's going to be issues, right? And we've talked about this. You know, there's things going on in public perception. I, I think we've hit the the bottom of that. I think that's going to start improving or is starting to prove. We have the difference in weight and type of crude between what we produce and and what we like to refine versus what the rest of the world likes to do. But but yeah, you know, and the other thing, Jake, you have to remember that Mark Pop is no longer at, at EOG Resources. He has his mm-hmm. new investment where he raised. I can't remember the number. We talked about it a long time ago. But he raised. I don't care. Was it four hundred million dollars or three hundred million dollars from his friends? I want to see. It was actually over about, a billion. Yeah, maybe so. I remember you and I talking like we we need friends like that that we can yeah. raise that type of capital from our friends. But what what he's done with his new company is he's picked up acreage all over the world, and they're going to bring in new technologies, and they're going to produce at around a thirty dollar break even point all over the world. So that may be the reason this quote came out is maybe somehow that affects his company in a positive way. I don't know, but he he knows that you could double or even triple recount and not have production go up because you're you're not you haven't completed the wells yet. So anyway, good article. Jake, Jake did a really good job this week finding some really, really good article. And then, you know, there's a whole bunch of geopolitical stuff that goes on globally that that could tank all prices or could have them spike up to 80. And and nobody, not us, not anybody else, knows 100% what's going to happen. We can just take our best guess. So we'll, 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 we'll stay on top of this. All right. The next two articles are actually about the steel import tariffs. So Donald Trump 
uh, announced, I think it was actually last week, uh, he reaffirmed his commitment to substantial tariffs on steel and aluminum imports despite uh, widespread protests from members of his own party as well as captains of the industry, including guys like Elon Musk. So there's a lot of... I don't know what's, what's not not really hype, but there, I mean, there's a lot of people that are very upset about this, saying that it's going to be very very expensive to build any type of drilling equipment, pipelines, refineries, so on and so forth. And so a lot of people are saying that it's actually going to hurt the oil and gas industry more than it's actually meant to help it. So we don't know yet, but this is something that that the research part of Modal Point is keeping a very 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 close eye on, right? So what has not been clarified is does this import tariff on steel, which is basically a tax, apply to tubular goods. So when I think tubular goods, I think of companies like TMK Ipsco, right? The largest tubular good company in the world that provides basically all the drill stem, all the piping, all the tubing that the oil and gas industry needs. And they're not the only provider, but that's just a good example. So, and the thing you have to understand about this is the engineering proudness of oil and gas means that we can design stuff that almost nobody else can design, which means we need materials that almost nobody else has, right? So some of these subsea uh, installations, some of the trees and the plets and the manifolds, there's only one or two companies in the planet that make the right type of steel so those things stay intact. And so the buyers, the manufacturers, the FMC and the Camerons and Ackers and G oil and gas don't have a choice. There's only a couple places they can get it. and and you have to remember what they build can't fail. So they can't go to subpar steel. So if, if tubular products are included with this, it will, those prices, it will be passed on to consumer and you'll see everything in the world go up here in the U S and around the world, because you know, we need a lot of materials. I mean, this is a project centric industry and and we build massive projects and a lot of pipes involved in that, a lot of fittings, a lot of tubing. So we're keeping a really close eye on this. But like I said, what we don't know yet is, tubular goods fall under this or not. Now, in the grand scheme of things, if I step back and and take my oil and gas glasses off and and kind of look at this as an American, there's some good stuff here, although it's pissing a lot of people off. You know, the American steel industry was the best on the planet. China started producing steel and just undercut prices for everybody. And basically, I'm not going to say destroyed, but really hurt the American steel industry, which I still in my, I still believe produces some of the best steel on the planet. So this would resurrect that Long-term wise, because of advances in technology and because things like electricity is so cheap in the U.S., if they did this and we and I'm right and our steel industry would come back, somewhere down the road, the prices would drop again and we would be competitive on a global market. Do I think it's going to go there if they pass this tariff? No, because that means that successive presidential administrations would have to leave this thing in place. I don't think that would happen. But yeah, this this thing is super important and it's gotten some media hype, but for the oil and gas industry, you know, anybody that's in this industry needs to make sure they keep an eye on this and see where it goes. And and when we find out if tubular goods and, and you know, Jake, you and I never talk politics on the show, or rarely or try not to, but try not if to. we find out that tubular goods are included in this, it will be one of the few times where I tell our audience, reach out to your congressman and, and tell them to vote against this because it, it, it really, really is going to hurt our industry at a time that we're just now coming back. Yep. All right, up next, infrastructure investments key to building America's energy dominance. So one challenge facing U.S. exporters is that they often have to sell crude at a steep discount to other global benchmarks. Uh, the WTI domestic benchmark at the start of January traded at $7 per barrel discount to Brent. WTI last year also regularly traded at $2 discounts to Dubai oil, a Middle East benchmark relied on for heavily by rapidly growing energy importing Asian economies. And the main reason for the discounts has been pipeline and infrastructure bottlenecks. Oh, you want to let me talk again? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if you listen to the show, you've, you've heard us talk that 
their pipelines have been built all over the place. Midstream is hot and heavy. And midstream is basically the transportation of, of whatever it is you're moving, crude, natural gas, water, blah, blah, blah. And, and we have one of the most robust midstream infrastructures on the planet. Actually, we have the most robust infrastructure on the planet, which allows us to bring this, these shale hydrocarbons to market more effectively and cheaper than anybody else, which has been this shale revolution. Well, we need more. And so we're building it. Now, the, the, the pipeline companies... And it's not just pipelines. It's also things like LNG. It's like terminals, storage. Storage is another real big one. This growth in shell output that is happening right now and that, that is everybody, including us, is predicting will continue to happen is going to be hamstringed if we can't get the infrastructure ahead of it because it, it is a constraint. You know, So when you're looking at one to two to three million barrels a day in constraint just from the Permian. Imagine what happens when you get those pipelines built. I mean, that's, you know, two, three million dollars, mm-hmm. million barrels of oil you get to market. You can't get to market right now. So, and, and these things have costs involved and they're expensive. And and there's some pending legislation out there that the co- pipeline companies are going to have to deal with. Um, there's also this, you know, relatively new public outcry against any pipeline anywhere, which is new for them as well. So this is, this is, we, we need the infra- infrastructure being built. I, I'm pretty sure we will have most of it built because it just makes financial sense. The other thing is it actually makes environmental sense. And then quite frankly, these companies want to make money. And if you work for these companies, you want them to make money so you can keep your job. So a lot, this stuff to get built. We have the ability to do it. We have the, the business drivers to get it done. And it just makes, you know, just makes fiscal sense. So we'll keep an eye on this one as well, but I'm, I'm not real worried about this. This will fix itself. Up next, a Australia and East Timor treaty unlocks $40 billion oil and gas field. So first off, I didn't even know what East East Timor was. I didn't know that it was a country. I had to actually Google this and look at it on a map, but Australia and East Timor have assigned a treaty redrawing the their maritime boundary, ending a decade-long dispute between the countries and unlocking tens of billions of dollars in oil and gas reserves in the Timor Sea. So there's already a joint venture between Woodside, ConocoPhillips, Royal Dutch Shell, and Osaka Gas for the commercial rights over the Greater Sunrise Project, which is estimated to have oil and gas reserves worth up to $40 billion. Yeah, isn't that crazy? And isn't it crazy that it takes hydrocarbons to end this dispute? I actually think it's, I think it's kind, of a, kind of a cool unexpected geopolitical story because this maritime border deal, I mean, this, this has been going on for, for extremely long now. I mean, I think 20, 30 years and Australia is a very modern country, right? And they have, they're, they're very prosperous. I mean, they're equivalent to Europe or the U S or whatever, other than the fact that they don't like Starbucks, which bothers the heck out of me. But East Timor is one of the poorest nations on the, on the planet, right? So because this deal, that wealth transfer will happen and will benefit the people in East Timor. And so, you know, this is a good thing to have happen. It's good that we be able to bring these hydrocarbons to the market. That part of the world, it's really easy to get those, especially natural gas, to market in Asia Pacific, which is, is the part of the world that really wants to buy that stuff. So I'm glad they actually worked out this border dispute and actually have this agreement in place because it's going to benefit a whole bunch of people. And it was it needed to have happen, right? It's, you don't need disputes over borders between extremely poor countries and very prosperous countries because that eventually <laughs> leads to things like conflict, you know. So so good good job here. Australia and East Timor. All right. Uh, next is an article kind of covering some of the stuff that was said at Sarah Week, uh, which was last week. And the article is titled European Oil Companies Leading Energy Transition While U.S. Firms Lag. So there's a huge divide between U.S. and European oil companies over the future of the industry industry. Pretty much the synopsis is that for U.S. oil companies, the future is still about oil. But for European companies such as, you know, BP, Statoil uh, and Total, 
they have major investments in wind and solar farms, a spread of electric vehicles, uh, and really pushing, growing the market for natural gas. Yeah, so there's, there's several things to look at here. So one is, say 10 years ago, most people, including myself, saw the, the majors and large independents talking about alternative energy, uh, carbon dioxide, environmental impact. And we all thought it was just a marketing spill, right? You know, the, the companies are talking this, they're talking about green. Yeah, they may invest a few dollars in wind and solar, but they're, they're an oil and gas company. And I remember actually years ago, ExxonMobil, I was there talking to one of their VPs and I called them an energy company. And the guy stopped the conversation, looked me square in the eye and he goes, we're not an energy company. We're an oil company. It's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And that was not that long ago. So, so that's what a lot of people thought, including myself a long time ago. But then you start seeing the world's mix of energy change for the better. You know, people start worrying about the environment. Countries start moving from coal to natural gas to generate electricity. The demand for electricity goes up because of these emerging economies. And then I start looking at what actually Shell and Exxon have done recently. And they've basically turned themselves in natural gas companies, which then this verifies that natural gas is the fuel of the future, something we've been saying for a while. Well, if you, if that's true, and if, and if, you know, switching from coal to natural gas automatically cleans up the emissions by 50 to 60%, and that there's an increased demand in electricity. And if all of that's true, well, then that means that the world's could buy more natural gas. Well, Jake, where do countries and, and companies buy natural gas from? The Exxons, the Chevrons, the Shells, the BP. So their move into renewable energy is not just marketing speak. It's it's being driven by a dollar because they know in the future, the, their ability to supply natural gas is going to be a huge revenue stream for them. So that's the other thing going on. Now, the third thing is there's a difference in opinion. So we've talked about this before. We've talked about the difference between peak supply and peak demand. So we've talked before about the difference between peak oil supply and peak demand. There is no peak oil supply. It's, we, we're going to be in a hydrocarbon abundant world forever. But peak oil demand will happen. And that's at some point the world will, will hit the pinnacle of how much crude natural gas they're using. And then it will decline. Now, a lot of the European countries think that's going to happen around 2050. A lot of the American companies go, it's going to happen. We have no idea when, but it's not 2050. It might be 50-50 or 60-50, right? So that's the other debate between the American and European companies. And then there's a difference in the way the, the citizens of Europe and the U.S. look at energy. Americans love energy, right? We, we love to have 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 square foot houses that need 20, 30, 40 kilowatts of electricity a day just to keep the damn thing running. That's because we're so prosperous we can afford to do it because electricity is so cheap here. It's not that way in Europe. And so they don't have the demands that we have. So this all combined together is why the European oil companies in this article look like they're leading the energy transition. I actually disagree. I think Chevron and ExxonMobil you know, are, are actually further ahead in what they're doing. Cause I think what they're doing is stuff that's actually doable, like hit the road possible. You know, you can actually implement it. The problem with a lot of the renewals is storage. So, and then the final thing that, that fits in all this is the growth of electric vehicles. You know, people go tell me I'm crazy, but I think we've jumped ahead. And I think companies like Tesla who have been the darling of wall street are actually going to get really slammed the end of this year for not hitting their numbers. And, and I think we're going to see a bit, bit of a backlash against electric vehicles. Now I'm not against electric vehicles. I love electric vehicles. They, they make sense in a lot of ways, but until we get a change of battery technology, 
it's it's hard for them to really compete head to head with internal combustion engines. And I know I'm gonna get some hate mail on that, but darn it, it's the truth. <laughs> so anyway, that's why this article is saying that European oil companies are leading the energy trans- transition, and 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 I don't I don't agree with that. But they they are coming at it from a different way, which is good, right? The more big companies we have investing money in different types of energy sources, the better we all are. So good stuff. All right, up next, uh, Venezuelan lawmakers declare petro crypto illegal. So there's two opposing lawmaking bodies that have ruled the country's issuance of a natural cryptocurrency is illegal under domestic law. And so it's my understanding of this, that one of the groups was the one that hosted the actual Petro cryptocurrency raise where they raised $735 million. And the other group is now declaring that it is completely illegal. So my personal take on this is I think that it was a hundred percent a cash grab. I don't think the Petro for, I, I think in some fairy world, it kind of makes sense. But in, in reality, I think the um, doing an ICO for this was not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not into this like you are, but I do know Venezuela and I know corruption. And one of the benefits of blockchain, which is what cryptocurrency is built upon, is that it's hard to have any type of corruption because it's so transparent. I think the reason they came out against it in Venezuela is it's going to keep the crooked politicians from you know, skimming money like they've done forever because it's so transparent. So I did think it was really cool when they initially issued their, their cryptocurrency. So, and, you know, I think in the future, the world is eventually going to move that way. Now, where and how and when, I don't know. But, you know, you and I are both big fans of blockchain technology for a bunch of reasons, including cryptocurrency. So let, let's keep an eye on this because it, it would be kind of cool if, if the country that has some of the worst corruption in the world is one of the first ones that, you know, start using cryptocurrency at a national level. All right, up next, GE and Noble link up the world's first digital drilling vessel. So a partnership has been formed by GE and Noble Corporation. The two companies have launched the world's first digital drilling vessel, targeted to achieve 20% operational expenditure reduction across the targeted equipment and proving drilling efficiency. So... You know, in the offshore drilling industry, operators have long relied on individuals leading to significant performance inconsistencies and variance. And we're seeing this. We're seeing data actually being able to come in and completely transform some of these older positions in the industry. So during this downturn, this has really challenged drillers to look for new innovative ways to achieve operational excellence, as a lot of companies are, are calling it. And so this digital rig solution, which is powered by GE's Predicts platform, is deployed on the Noble Globetrotter which is a drilling vessel that has been successfully connected to all targeted control systems, including the drilling control network, the power management system, and the dynamic positioning system. This is cool. This is really cool. No, this is, this is cooler than, than it sounds. You know where this is going? And you, you and I have talked about this on, on the show. At somewhere down the road and in, in, in our lifetime, the drilling vessels will go drill themselves. They won't need people, right? And they'll be so much safer, so much more efficient. This is, And when that happens, and when we get to the point where the machines can also install the trees and the subsea pipelines and all that sort of stuff, that's when the deep water, high pressure, high temperature oils could come back because now it's so much cheaper to get to. And this is the step in that direction, right? So this ship basically figures out where it needs to drill. It puts itself on site. It keeps itself perfectly still, not with anchors, with the machine keeping the vehicles perfect. It drills, it learns, and it gets more efficient as it goes through the cycle. And this isn't research. This is some research and development work here. This is real. They're actually going to go use it, which is just going to accelerate the use of this type of technologies. And what's going to happen is, so here's the first one. So GE Noble did it first with the first uh, digital drilling rig. 
that means the other people are going to have to follow. Because now, once this is once they have this thing ironed out, they're going to be cheaper and better and faster and safer than anybody else. Well, then the rest of the industry has to catch up. So I think this is like super, super cool. Now, if you're a fan of Terminator... <laughs> And you start thinking about Skynet and you start thinking about these drilling ships doing stuff on their own. But I'm not worried about that. GE's too smart. Let something like that happen. But this is, this is so awesome. All right. And that about wraps it up for the uh, stories for the week. If you want to rent a Red Wing bag, the Red Wing offshore bag, which. Can I tell you something about the bag? Somebody reached out to me again and offered me a lot of money for one of these bags. And we don't do it, although it was a lot of money. I thought about it for a second. But if you want to red win one of these bags, do it because they're a collector's item by now. Very easy. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. And they're really cool. They're really nice bags. And the weekly rig count is stagnant from last week. We're sitting at 1,050 rigs. Nothing wrong with that. Nope, that's a good number. What events we got on deck? So we got... OTC heading up, which is Offshore Technology Conference. That's the end of April till May 3rd. We'll all be there as press. Some of our new podcasters will be joining us as press. That's if, if you don't, if you're in oil and gas, especially in upstream, or if you're into technology that you're trying to sell to oil and gas industry, you have to be at OTC. It's the largest offshore technology conference in the world. But Jake, it's the third largest trade show of any kind in the world. So it's just really cool. If you haven't got your hotel rooms, it's too late. <laughs> but um, we got that coming up. And then we have, like we mentioned earlier in our show, we have our first OGGN meetup cocktail event, don't we? Yep. Uh, I'll put a uh, link in the show notes. It's going to be at the end of this month. We're trying to lie down a solid day, but it will be the last week of this month and it will be hosted here at my office at WeWork. Yeah. So just uh, if you want to find out more information, just go to the Eventbrite uh, link that I put in the show notes and we'll keep you posted there. Yeah. And people, we're capping the number. So you can't just wait till the last minute. If you want to go, you better get in early because we're pretty close to having to clamp down on it now. And we haven't, don't even know what the date of it is yet. Yep. Yep. So go, go to the link that Jake puts in the show notes, which is on the website for the podcast and go sign up quickly if you want to come. And we'd love to see you in person. We have a couple drinks together, get to know our audience. So we had a ton of fun. If you want to learn about these events and more, it's pretty simple. Put a monthly newsletter out. We talk about it every show. The link's in the show notes as well. And then I mentioned a couple things, including the show notes that you need to go sign up for. You do that on our website. So this podcast has a website, allingassthisweek.com. Give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. And then you get to read all the stuff that we talked about, plus do things like sign up for the cocktail event. And speaking of event, we're still in the market for 2018 event sponsors. We have 40 some odd conferences and trade shows we're going to. If you'd like to get your company, your sales and market people in front of prospects at these shows in a very economical way, in a very productive way, reach out to me. I'll be happy to share the details. And then also, you know, Jake and I speak. If you want us to come to your university, your car club, your sales and marketing event, whatever, let us know. We can talk about that as well. And we got a first Friday Q&A coming up. While you're at the website, go just click on ask a question, give us your question. And if we use it on air, you get a big shout out. Finally, join the LinkedIn group. It's the companion to this show. It's the companion to all other shows. It's where you will find out about stuff second if you're that type of person that likes to find out about stuff second. Jake, anything else? That's about it, man. All right, folks. Remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.